Hola y bienvenidos a Peruvians of USA, peruanos de Estados Unidos. Un podcast en español, inglés y spanglish donde compartimos las diversas historias del inmigrante peruano. Mi nombre es Natalie Sofía y soy una chica peruana que vive en los Estados Unidos por más de 20 años. Welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast in Spanish, English and Spanglish where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. My name is Natalie Sofia, a fellow Peruvian living in the U.S. for more than 20 years. So let's get started. On this episode, I speak to Katie Mesa, a Peruvian-American designer, typographer, and creative director. She received her Bachelor's of Fine Arts from the Art Center College of Design. Katie's work has been recognized by Keynes Lions, Fast Company, Ad Age, among many other publications. She has worked on ad campaigns for Gatorade and Cricket Wireless. She is currently freelancing in San Francisco with her dog, Suki. In this conversation, we talk about her career as a designer, adopting her dog, Suki, biking from San Francisco to LA, and of course, her Peruvian heritage. Although Katie did not grow up speaking Spanish and experienced zero acceptance, she has come far in her Peruvianness. She loves her culture and she loves her people. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please be sure to share with us in social media using the hashtag Peruvians of USA. All right, here's our conversation. Katie Mesa, welcome to Peruvians of USA. I am thrilled to have you here today. Awesome. Hello, I'm Katie Meza, and I'm a creative director designer in San Francisco. I was born here in Orlando, Florida, actually, but my um, both my mom and my dad migrated here more than 30 years ago from Peru. So my dad is from Trujillo, and my mom is from Lima, and they came to Ohio. So, but who I am, I am a dog owner. <laughs> I'm a long distance cyclist. I'm, um, you know, I'm a graphic designer or I went to art school in Pasadena called Art Center College of Design. And um, I love my heritage. I love, you know, who I am and I love telling people that I'm Peruvian. So I'm really excited to be here on this podcast because now I can tell everybody how Peruvian I am. Awesome. <laughs> and we're so happy to have you here. The most, the first most important question I'm going to ask you, tell me about Suki. <laughs> oh, thank you. I've been dying for that question. Okay, yeah. So if you know me, you know Suki. And who Suki is, she is my rescue dog. I've had her for about 11 years. And uh, she's the cutest little like poodle mix. I rescued her when I lived in Pasadena. She, I've never had a dog before. So this is my first dog. She may not be the best trained, <laughs> but she is my other half. So people who know me always know like, how's Suki doing? So yeah, and, now go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say, so did you plan to adopt uh, or was it like a spur of the moment? Uh... Oh my God. So I had started working, it was like my first job out of school and it was like this ad agency called Shiat Day and they allowed dogs. And so I remember there was this guy who had a big husky and I, growing up, I've never been around dogs. And I saw like him and this husky, like the way that they were together. And I was like, oh my God. And so I started going to like 
you know, shelter is just to find a husky. I'm like, I want a husky. I want a husky. But like, little did I know, like all the things that come with a husky, like you got to run them out. Like you got to be like on top of your shit. Like you got to be like, all right, you know, I'm the master of the dog. So as I kept going to shelter to shelter, I just never found a husky. And then the last shelter I went to, I was with my best friend and she was like, you got to see this dog. And I was like, whatever, I'm going to go look at the huskies. Like, I'll be back. And then, you know, I don't find any. I'm like, all right, I'll look at it. And I look at the sign and it said poodle mix. And I was like, ew, that's for like old ladies, you know? I was like, I don't want that. I'm a young woman. But then I stood in front of the cage and this dog looked very vacant. But the minute that I put my hand in the cage, she turned alive. And, you know, they weren't opening cages that day. And it also turned out that cage was uh, for dogs that like, if they don't get adopted within the next 24 hours, that they're going to just be gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, like it was so, it's almost like, you know, when people say like, when you find the right apartment, you know, that's how I felt with her. And then the next, like two days later, when they finally opened, they didn't even do a background check. Like they were just like, take her take her I'm like oh okay (laughs) yeah how old was Suki I I have no idea I think she was two and so Mm. if I've had her for 11 years she's like 13 but she looks like a puppy I call her the Jane Fonda of dogs like she is like amazing and so I love it when people are like is that a puppy I'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's an 11 year old puppy (laughs) yeah yeah so so, yeah it's so funny because like before doing this podcast you know I told my sister I'm like yeah they're gonna ask me about Suki and she's like great (laughs) (laughs) yeah I have to I have to I grew up with um I grew up with a beagle um, mm. Now my parents have a second beagle, and so I appreciate <gasps> dogs. I um, love to pet them when I see them on the street with yeah. their owner. Sometimes I don't even greet the owner; I just greet the dog. <laughs> oh, that's totally it, and that's how San Francisco is. So it's like I know more pet names than I do know their owner names. You know, it's like, oh, it's Gretchen's mom, or it's like Magic's dad, like. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that, that's true. And where does the name Suki come from? Oh my gosh. Like for the longest time, I'm like, look at me. I made this up. I'm so original. But what I did, like don't tell people is that at the time I was watching True Blood on HBO and they have this character called Suki Stackhouse. And for two weeks, she didn't have a name. I just called her, I almost called her Little Meza. I was like, why not? You know? But um, then one day I was walking her and Suki came in my head. I was like, Suki, that's it. And so she has tons of nicknames like uh, Suki, Dookie, Suki Bean, which I call her all the time, Mrs. Bean. Like she, I give her a lot of personality. <laughs> that's awesome. She's a very, yeah, she's a very like, you know, my mom always says like, I wish I could come back as Suki, so Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad she came into your life when she did. Oh, I'm so thankful. For both of you. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> For both of you. Um, so pivoting a little bit into your professional side, um, you have a bachelor's of fine arts from the Art Center College of Design. And you are a designer, 
photographer and creative director. Tell us what, um, what inspired you to go into the arts and follow your career path? Yes, like, um, so uh, through school, you know, and I was listening to another podcast of yours where um, one of the speakers was like, yeah, I didn't really have teachers who saw me you know, and it was the same for me. Like I really didn't. And this, at that, this time I was growing up in Minnesota. And so uh, the only thing I felt like I was kind of good at was art. And I was always good with computers. Like, you know, and when I graduated high school, I told my mom and dad, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a year off. But my dad being like the Peruvian he is, he's like, no, you're not, you're going to school. And I was like, what? I'm like, dad, I want to find myself, which was like, I just want to watch TV. But he was like, uh-uh. He's like, if you don't go to school, I'm not going to do this, this, or that, you know? So I enrolled in a community college school and I ended up taking just art classes. But then, you know, an advisor was like, hey, you know, the art classes that you're taking, you, if you just take a few more, then you can enroll into the graphic design program. And so I was like, okay, well, I am good at computers. And I really didn't know much about it. Like, I just know I wanted to do art and I wasn't very good at it either, but it just, it felt more natural. And then, you know, I got my uh, associates in graphic design and I really loved it. Like I had this teacher who saw me and who like really supported me and he made, I wanted to be just like him. And so, you know, after uh, getting my AA, my older sister, Jessica, she was living in LA at the time. She's like, oh my God, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live in LA. And so I visited her and I was like, where am I? You know, I was like, oh, like there's so many brown people. <laughs> like, And there's was, sun. <laughs> yeah, there's sun and there's like water and, you know, and so I came to live with her for about a year and then my dad creeps in again and he's like when are you going to go to school and I was like what and he's like if you don't go to school I'm not going to do this this or that and so I was like damn so my great teacher in Minnesota he had a list out of schools to visit if I was ever interested and art center college of design was on there and art center is actually one of the best art schools in the nation and I enrolled and I got in and I worked really, really hard. And uh, I just found such a love for it, like just a love for graphic design and art. And then when I graduated, uh, I, I got a chance to work at like one of the best agencies in LA, which was TVWA Shy Day. And from that point on, like I just have, you know, from just worked at ad, ad agencies. So I worked at for a lot of people, it's funny to say, but it's like I've worked at pretty much almost every agency on the West Coast and um, and in Boulder. So it's been such a wild ride and I'm super thankful. Wow. But yeah. So I could tell you, like, there's been so many, so much stuff I've worked on. Um, I got to work on the Gatorade relaunch. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was going to ask you what has been like some of your favorite projects. Yeah, so um, Gatorade, when I worked at Shiat Day, we worked on, or I worked on like the Gatorade relaunch, which was like, that's G. And I got to meet like so many cool athletes. I fell in love with it. It's like, amazing. 
you know, um, I've worked on, I don't know if you've ever seen Cricket Wireless commercials. Mm -hmm. I have, <laughs> yep. So all those characters, I actually helped design. Oh, wow. Life. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And so do you get um, creative, like, um, do you get credit with that cre uh, creative work? So could you share that in your own personal website and your Completely. own? Completely. Oh, yeah. In my portfolio so it's like that like I can tell you the names it's Miles it's Barry it's like Rose I, I try to get a character to be called Suki <laughs> super close but um yeah like uh me and two other people we help win the business and then we help kind of like create the whole brand so the whole look and feel like the colors the fonts and just kind of like how it lives and breathes in the world so it's pretty crazy <laughs> what what's that process like when you work with the client um and how long is that process because you know like from the uh, receiving end I see a Gatorade commercial or a Cricket Wireless commercial uh, or even like those the ones that are very uh you know weird in concept yeah. like, which one is it something something about insurance like it comes to oh, mind it could be Geico. Uh, or Geico right like how give us a give us an insight into like how long does that process take yeah, like, okay, so if holiday is coming up, and so holiday is just like, you know, everybody's buying gifts for each other, you want people to know your brand, all that stuff, you get briefed on that in June. So you're planning for it, and you will run to the client with like 100 ideas. And I would say like, up until the last minute, which could be like, September, October, they're like, this is what we want to do. And then you just build out that world, that like brand story that you want to tell. So for instance, with Cricket Holiday, like up until the last minute, they finally choose a concept and tons of concepts are thrown at them. We get, first we get briefed like, okay, this is kind of what we're selling. This is what we think the messaging is going to be. And these may be the new products that are launching. And then you have to weave that into like, you know, here for the holidays or just kind of like some sort of tagline. And from that tagline, you build a story of just like, okay, they're the characters are now elves in this world and they're helping Santa do this or that. And so I'm gonna create all these kind of like characters doing that. And I'm gonna create the look and feel for it. And I'm, and everything I'm creating is gonna be shown on TV, uh, print, digital, and even radio. So it's like just hitting the consumer at every touch point. So it, it's coming up with like a concept, an idea, coming up with the look and feel. And there's a lot of late nights. <laughs> like, to be honest, a lot, a lot of late nights. And, um, but then when it all comes together and you see it out in the world, there's such kind of like, oh, we did it. Right. And especially when people remember it and they're talking oh, about yeah. like, the, you know, the, the brand story that you put together and that you worked on. So it seems to me like somebody who is a creative director who works in ad agencies has to get a, has to have a good pulse on the yeah. culture and the people and the things that are happening nationally. How do you do that now? Oh my gosh. Like it's through everything, like through movies, pop culture, music. Like right now I'm so inspired by like Jay Balvin and Bad Bunny. Oh my gosh. I love them. But the way that they can influence culture, it's just like, 
what are the artists that they're working with? Like, who are the fashion designers they're working with? And like, you can see like Nike and Adidas are just like so inspired by them. But really, it's just like, you know, looking at the world and just being surprised by it, looking for looking for things that normal people wouldn't notice, you know, and just kind of like carrying that with you into your art, carrying that into your design. And it's just, it's almost like being very sensitive. Oh, yes. I, I, I think sensitivity is definitely there. I guess I'm curious, and I'm only asking you this because you're yeah. in, the, in the creative space. Pepsi, their commercial oh, yeah. from a couple years ago. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody knows what we're talking about. And if you don't know, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, to. Um, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. But it's basically when there were protests happening again for Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter, not just June in 2020, but earlier. I think it must have been like... I want to say 2016, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and they had Kylie Jenner be the Ugh. person who approached the police and she opened a can of Pepsi. Everybody was very sensitive during that time. That was a, that was taken, you know, it, I, I don't, everybody think knows that Pepsi <laughs> made a mistake. I guess, like, what is your take on that? Why did that happen? Somebody didn't see this and think it was wrong and approved this. So can you, mm-hmm. you give us like the professionals uh, insights, I guess, perspective? Yeah. Oh, this is such a good question. Um, first off, I did not do that. <laughs> oh my God, no. But it's funny because it's like, um, and I've seen it a lot. It There are people who aren't brave enough, you know? A lot of times there are people who aren't in the room who should be. So for instance, like I can think of like past projects that I've worked on where I'm like, am I the only minority here? And the audience is, you know, we're looking at like Blacks and Latinos, you know, but yet I'm the only person and and who's on the board, it's mostly like white men. And so it's almost like the right people aren't there to prove those things and a lot of times like the client is just like we have Kylie Jenner how can we use her how can we use her and sometimes you know what happens is like you might have this really great idea but you kind of have to pick and choose when to fight your battles and with Pepsi they're such a huge client and they have to speak to like such a huge audience that it almost whatever messaging that ends up going out it it's just so watered down that when you go edit like a 30 second commercial or something like that's what it turns out to be. Like, I have a feeling somebody probably had like a much braver option, but a lot of times the client can just be like, you know what, we have to appeal to all this other stuff. Like, we're just not ready for that. So, you know, when it, when I think about the kind of clients that I like working with, a lot of times they're smaller. And that's because they want to take more chances. Sometimes like the bigger it gets, the more eyes come on it. And a lot of times those eyes aren't very creative, you know? And so it's like a big push and pull. You got to figure out how to fight your battles. And with that project, who knows? Imagine being a fly on the wall in that meeting, you know? Right. Yeah. Somebody didn't speak up. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people didn't. (laughs) Right. Yeah, uh, I'm just curious if anybody's out there that worked on this, I'm curious to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, we have some words. 
Um, so you and I, before we started recording, we talked about how in the last decade or so, maybe over a decade, just Peru's um, brand has increased so much more in the world, particularly in the culinary aspect and tourism. Uh, even now, Machu Picchu is open or uh, there's a, you know, like a marketing out there happening now, um, despite COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> So my question to you would be, if you were to create like a new brand for Peru, because right now we have like Marca Peru and it's like the P, you know. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> so what would be, what would, what area would you target? Uh, or what would you, what would that new brand look like? Oh, wow. You know, like, um, and it's so hard to do something that you love because it's like, you're going to be your own worst enemy in it. And it's funny because when I was last in Peru, like I saw that per official Peru logo everywhere. And for a while, I'm like, I hate it. But then, you know, as I was there. Wait, why did you was, hate Why did you hate it? <laughs> at first, I hated it just because like in terms of typography, I'm like, Ugh. like I like more um, simpler things, not so ornate. And but then, you know what? I actually love it now because I'm like, fuck, this does really represent Peru. You know, this represents the Nazca lines. That's such a rich history of who we are. And then the red, it's like, you know, the flag, like now red is like my favorite color. Like it, I, I love it for what it is. I think one of the things that I would think about introducing is there's some really great sign, hand sign painters in Peru. I've been seeing some young artists and they used really bright colors of like, the neon yellows and the neon pinks and the neon oranges and the way that they like, you know, do that um, hand lettering is so beautiful. And I think the more people need to see that just to know like there is more than just this kind of like stereotypical Peru look, like there's modern Peru. Right. You know, and so yeah. it's almost like, how can we show that to the world? That That would be like my first kind of like stab at it. Yeah, it's interesting because I've seen those in t-shirts now. Uh, people are wearing the, the lettering the, and yeah. those are done, I believe, for like concerts. Uh, whenever there's a concert, they do the lettering uh, by hand. Um, and if somebody knows better, like they can correct me, send me a message. Um, but if what I remember when I was in Peru there, um, those uh, that design was used for like, chicha concerts or chicha like dances and so it wasn't like something very appealing to perhaps let's say like the middle class and the upper class because like chicha was not you know something that the middle upper class danced to or listened to although like now it's called like cumbia peruana or like cumbia so that's more popular um but it's really interesting how that has changed and it's evolved to represent Peru like now more like especially abroad like those colors and that style yeah. of lettering so it's that evolution is so interesting to me I wonder how who was like that first cattle like the catalyst right that kind of launched it so yeah oh that's so interesting because it's like I found this artist who just like specializes in just doing that through Instagram and it's just like, he's been teaching classes on how to, you know, paint like that. He's been teaching, he holds classes where tons of people want to learn more about it. So uh, that's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned that you went to Peru. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I am curious about 
the first time you went to Peru. How old were you? When was it? And what were some of your first impressions? Yeah, so I've actually only been to Peru once. So, um, and a, the big reason why we didn't go as a family, like when I was younger, is just we didn't have the money. Like we really didn't have the money. But um, I went in 2016 and I went on my birthday and I did like this two or three week trip. So, and I went by myself. So the trip goes as like, I'm in Lima for a few days. Then I go to Cusco, eventually do the Laris trek and then get to Machu Picchu. And then after that, I go to the Amazon. So I go to the jungles. And, you know, like I was taking Spanish classes at night school before I went. So, but like, I should have taken those Spanish classes a while ago because like in the middle of semester, I'm like, I got to go to Peru now, but <laughs> so I only knew like basic stuff. Um, you know, that trip changed me forever. Like it was so amazing because as I was there, I felt like I understood my parents. You know, I understood where they came from. I understood why we have alpaca rugs all over our house. You know, why we have um, like inti, I think, like all like as a, we have him everywhere, even as like a mail opener. I would constantly- That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, being in the house that I grew up in, it was always like crew, crew, crew everywhere, but I'd never really understood it because, you know, when I would leave the house, it was a much different world. Like, so when I was there, it's like, I saw even how women did their hair. And I was like, that's how my mom still does her hair using those, you know, barrettes that she does. Yeah. My mom used those too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it was just like amazing. And, you know, the biggest thing that I remember as I was walking around was like, you're just like me. You have a Peruvian mother and a Peruvian father like me. Because growing up, I never had any other friends who were Peruvian. You know, then I never felt like there was a community out there. I always felt kind of like I just had my family. That was it. And so to all of a sudden be in a place where people were like me, I felt such acceptance and I felt such relief. And I, you know, it's funny because it's like when I look at Peruvian men, I'm like, dad, dad, dad. Because <laughs> there's like a certain Peruvian body, you know? And right. I'm like, that's my dad right there. <laughs> yes. But it felt good, you know, because I grew up. So my story is like I was born in Orlando, Florida. When my parents divorced when I was 11, my mom took uh, me and my sister up to a suburb of Minneapolis. And so the school that I went to, I was one of very few minorities and I lived in a place where nobody knew what Peru really was. I, you know, I remember I went to the doctor. I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, I'm from Peru. He's like, oh, is that in Spain? And in my head, I'm like, you're a doctor. <laughs> like, yeah. I got to get out of here. Like, so it, it felt like just to be there, like I, I just felt closer to who I am and who, where I come from. And it really, like I walked away from that trip, just a new person. That's awesome. Did anything surprise you perhaps in a negative way? Yeah. 
like a bean in Peru. Yeah. You know, like um, I was sad to see all the poverty. Like I always heard it from my family, you know, um, before I left, my dad was telling me all the things not to do. He's like, don't hold your purse in a backseat of a taxi because somebody's going to snatch it. Don't like my parents really gave me like, just don't trust anybody. Like, don't trust anybody. And I was like, mom, you know, but um, I can see why, like, there's also sorts of just kind of like, people have to do what they got to do when they're there. And there's a really hard things that are happening there, you know, and I was sad to see that. I, as I was kind of like walking through Lima, like just kind of seeing the division, you know, between like people who have money, people who don't. But I will say like, I didn't see too much negative because I was just so amazed by just seeing kind of like what life was there, was like there, you know, and and just kind of like really understanding, like seeing the salsa criolla, you know, like on every yeah. table. Yes, it's, it's, yeah. And the restaurants, they put it right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the salsa we have every day when I'm at home, you know? Um, I'll even say, say like smelling the smells. I was like, oh, <laughs> Peru, I know it because my, when my mom came back from Peru, this is how she would smell. Like, it was just, just kind of like, I felt like a lot of things were, I was just like really discovering things that had always been there in my family and what I saw. So it, it wasn't so negative. It, I was just so kind of like taken aback by it. it that's a, yeah the the advice of don't trust uh don't trust anybody it's uh interesting because it also speaks to the times when your parents must have left peru and yeah. it, it it speaks to the um i don't want to call it the first generation of uh, the first wave of immigrants from peru because there's there's you know the first wave of immigrants i'm sure was earlier than that but the way that came 70s, 80s, maybe maybe even the 90s, there was still a lot of um, distrust of other Peruvians. You know, the economy wasn't great politically. There was a lot of like conflicts, I guess. I want, uh, and so, yeah. um, and in other episodes, we talked about, you know, like how Peruvians don't trust each other, don't trust. Oh. Yeah. So, um, so I guess I just want to kind of focus now in the story of your parents. Like, what do you know about them in terms of like why they came to the U.S.? Um, why not like Europe, let's say that, or, oh. or other countries? And, yeah. and and how do you think coming to the U.S. changed your parents? Yeah. Like, um, so my mom was in the University of Lima. And she was a student and my dad was a math teacher and they started dating. And so, you know, eventually, first off, even that story, I'm like, whoa. Did she <laughs> nice pass? Job. Did she pass? Yeah. <laughs> I know, she passed, but she did not graduate. I was like, dang. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so it's like they, they became married and so my dad being a teacher, he was a math teacher, uh, the school, the university wanted him to go to America and they wanted him to learn. And the whole idea was like, you come here, you go to America, you learn what you're gonna learn, but then you come back and you teach us. And so his first choice was Berkeley, uh, but then 
but he got accepted at the uh, Ohio University, I think in Dayton. And so that's why they immigrated to Ohio. And so when they immigrated, both my parents didn't know English at all. And like my mom soon became pregnant with my brother and it was hard. It was super hard to navigate like that world. But my dad still went to school. You know, like I tried, I was like, how did you learn English? But even if you talk to him now, he still has, there's a lot of English he still doesn't know. But you know, like that's who he is. He has a very thick accent and, but he figured out, he figured out how to get by. And so soon he double majored in uh, politics and math. So, but then when it was time to come back, you know, the shining path was happening and there was so much, you know, horror and terror happening in Lima. And he's like, I don't want to go back. I don't want my son to like have to go through that. And soon they had my sister. It's like, I don't want my kids to go through that. And that's why they stayed in America. So eventually my um, brother, as he was getting older, he was helping my mom learn English. He was like helping her understand, you know, documents or being able to ask for help and all this kind of stuff. And so eventually my mom's English got better. And even now, like, I think she's been kind of, um, you know, has some trauma just about her accent herself, even though I think she has the most beautiful accent in the world. But my mom still worries that like, oh, do you understand me? Like, is my English okay? You know, just from like a lot of the backlash that happened living in Ohio, like a predominantly white. Wow. Yes. Does she ever tell you stories of that backlash that she or your dad experienced? Yeah. And, you know, it didn't, it was always there, like growing up, like, um, you know, there are people who just wouldn't look at her. There are people who just would just ignore her all the time. You know, if she were asking for help, um, living in Minnesota, like there was a lot that happened in the workplace, you know, like there were certain jobs that she's had that she faced such racism and prejudice that eventually like, you know, they let her go and it had nothing to do with her work performance. It had more just being like, you know, a Latin woman in a predominantly white workplace. And, you know, with my dad, we don't talk about it too much, but my dad is smart. My dad is super, super smart, but I could see like how having this accent or just kind of like having that like Peruvian style, like way of living, like it's not necessarily something in the 80s and 90s that's like accepted. So even, so from Ohio, we moved to Florida and then I was born in Florida. And so even when I was with my dad in grocery stores and stuff like that, you see people back away. You see people with like, you know, looks on their face. And, and it's just like, it hurts, you know? Uh, I I would carry that pain. Like I would be so bothered by it. So you know, growing up that way, like that was kind of one of the reasons why they didn't want to teach us Spanish. So like, we have to be more American. Like, you know, when you guys are growing up, like we're not going to teach Spanish. We're going to, we only speak English here. We're in America. So that was kind of what happened. Like why the story is of why I don't know Spanish. And a lot of people are like, well, you could have got learned Spanish in high school or junior high, you know? And I was like, yeah, but I didn't even know 
who I was at that time. I, I who who does who knows yeah. who they are <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I that just wasn't for me at that time. Like, you know, growing up where I did, like I like we were saying earlier, like I got rejected for not knowing Spanish, even from like other Latinos. Like I would get bullied for it, and so that made me even that actually started me kind of resenting like resenting like you know that's part of me and so that's why I refused to learn it I was like no no so yeah and now kind of where I'm at like me and my dad right now we do Spanish classes over zoom and it's really cute (laughs) that's really cute yeah that's so do your parents now do they ever say whether their decision not to to raise you and your siblings not with speaking only English at home was do they ever say that was a good decision bad decision do they do they ever wonder themselves yeah you know it's funny it's like the only thing that they when we have talked about it they're just like we just wanted to live the American dream that's what we wanted we and knowing kind of like how things were in Ohio how hard it was for them you know to like learn English and to be American they just they're like we didn't want you guys to be different so So what would you say is is their American dream and did they live live it oh that's a good one I you know like if my dad for instance like I think he's living it because he got a lot of like cars eventually you know, oh, I remember he bought like this Nissan 240SX. It's like the sports car in the 90s, but he felt like the hottest shit. Like <laughs> he like, and it was funny. He only like sold it because he was going down the highway like over a hundred, and he got this huge speeding ticket. Oh. So after that, he's like, never mind. <laughs> he's like, I don't want more speeding tickets. Yeah. He's like, I don't want a speeding ticket. But you know, like as I think about it, like. If I were to say, did my dad get his American dream? I don't think he ever let go of the Peruvian dream. You know, he never, he, he's like, I am a Peruvian. He still votes in the Peruvian politics. He, when he moved, he now lives in North Carolina, but when he moved there, he became the president of the Peruvian council that he started. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. It's involved. Yeah. He, he has, he's the reason. I feel like why I carry so much pride with me because he taught me that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with my mom, I think too, it's like as much as she, you know, we lived here forever, but she still like, there are things that she's proud of, of being Peruvian and being a Peruvian woman, you know? So what about you? Do you have a Peruvian American dream? What, what is, what does that look like for you? That's good. You know, like, um, I will say like what I, when I feel the most proud about who I am and living in America, like, um, I feel most proud when I get to share my parents' story and I, I, I get to be, I want to make them proud. I want to make them feel like they moved here for a reason for their kids. You know, they stayed here for their kids. And they stayed here so we could get a better opportunity. And I felt that a lot from both of them, and especially my dad with school, like him just always, 
He's like, you got to go to school. You got to stay in school, I'll, whatever it takes, you know? And so that's where, like, whatever I end up doing, like, I, I always want to be the best I can possibly be at it. And I always, in the back of my head, I always like to think, I'm like, I could possibly be the first Peruvian woman who's done this, <laughs> you know? Yes, yes, do it. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah, I, like, I'm the only proving it works here. Like it, there's just like, I, I like saying that story. Like I, I, I think in the end, like I always want to want to make sure my parents know that they gave me a really great opportunity to live in a place like this and to be able to have the resources that I, I had growing up. Yes. We, we are definitely, I think immigrant children, we're all just so thankful. And I think we have a really good understanding of what our parents have sacrificed for us to be here. Not only have they chosen to leave their country, to leave their family, their culture and their language yeah. <laughs> right behind to start new. Um, I mean, like just thinking about right now, like even myself thinking, starting over in a new country, just that, that where I don't speak the language, you know, let's say, I don't know, Mandarin, right? Mm -hmm. How difficult is that? And, and so, yeah, I think we all have a really good understanding of what our parents have sacrificed. And, and some of the common themes I've noticed in some of the interviews, like, I think we all want to make sure we make our parents proud and, and yeah. just ensure that they know that they did not make a mistake given us this opportunity and that we have to reap all the benefits that we can and like, you know, and all the opportunities of this country um, that there are available in this country, right? So. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So you mentioned that, um, you know, it was, it was difficult and at times you felt resentment um, of not, when people picked on you for not speaking Spanish, when other Latinos did picked on you mm -hmm. for not speaking Spanish and, you know, it is hurtful and it does create resentment. And sometimes that, and that resentment makes you reject that part of the yeah. culture. Even. Did your, uh, did your brother or sister experience this? Was it, was their experience similar or did they have a different experience with that? Oh my gosh. So out of the family, I would say like, me and my mom were the lightest. And so everybody else, you know, has a deeper tan, like a deeper tone. So if you were to see my brother and my sister, you're like, oh yeah, you're a Latin, you're a Latino, right? You know, but with me, like, I was like, I've gotten like, are you Native American? Are you half something? Like, because of that, I could get away with, just kind of like hiding my identity, hiding my background. But my sister who has like this thick jet black hair, super long, you know, it's thicker than mine. Like she, she looks Peruvian. And same with my brother. My brother is just kind of like a spitting image of my dad, but don't tell him that. <laughs> but um, like uh, they really embraced like, when they were younger, they embraced, I feel like my sister the most, like she used to wear shirts that said Latina queen on it. Like if you ask her, she was like the salsa queen of Minneapolis at some point, you know, like my brother, for instance, like he, 
he's gone to like salsa dancing competitions and he learned Spanish on his own. So he's able to just like communicate. Um, so they had, both of them had like a much different path than I did. And because I was able to just kind of like pass as anything else, like I never had to answer that question of just like, you know, where are you from? Like, Wow, that's so interesting because, um, again, in another episode, we talked about, you know, being first fair skin and, mm -hmm. and being able to pass and like some of the advantages that you get from that, like, right, that you don't have to answer like one of them, yeah. that's like where you're from and others is you're automatically assumed to be just part of um, like either just be Caucasian, just be American. Um, and you mentioned there were, you couldn't, it was perhaps easier for you to hide your identity and something that your brother and your sister didn't, um, didn't the luxury that they didn't have. Like, I am yeah. curious about when did you choose to hide your identity? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Like, um, so when I was growing up, like, you know, like, uh, people like rap and hip hop, I actually like rock like I loved alternative music like Smashing Pumpkins was some of my favorite bands but you know I never met anybody else who was had a Latin background who liked that stuff so I never saw that and and so I always felt just kind of like I was an outcast there was even a point where I was like I'm goth but I really wasn't <laughs> like I would put on black lipstick it did not look good but I definitely, I was just like, yeah, I'm an alternative. And, and, but like, I never met any other Latinos who liked alternative music at the time. This was in Minnesota. And so like, um, I just kept rejecting, kept rejecting. And it was funny cause like when I would go home and if I would be with my dad in the car or something, he'd play Mark Anthony. My mom loved Eva Ayon. Like there's so many like, songs now that I listen to like by proving artists that I'm like oh yeah I know this song it's because my parents would play that throughout the whole household so like um I forgot the question <laughs> oh no worries um so when what are some instances when you recall perhaps when you were in high school or um earlier or later than that where you chose to hide your identity because oh you yeah you know, like being in those kind of, being in like the junior high and high school environment where um, it was predominantly white, like, and I'm saying just like maybe 5% more minorities. Um, that's kind of where I would, I just didn't want to be seen. I didn't want any extra attention. I didn't want anyone to look at me or to know who I was. I was just this quiet person who hid in the back. And it's, funny when I tell people that now they're pretty surprised by it but but it was just kind of like I didn't feel accepted you know in junior high and high school I got bullied all the time and you know bullied for how I look like or, or just kind of like bullied for not having you know nice clothes it, it turns out the high school I went to was people were really well off and but me and my family we were not we but I was in that school district. And so the more that I could hide, the better. Yeah. And I think high school is just such a difficult age for everybody. And 
Yeah, I can understand for sure. Not wanting to answer any questions. Mm-hmm. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Let me just go. Like I shouldn't even have graduated high school. I was just like, they're just like, get her out of here. I was like, okay, fine. You know? That's funny. Um, so I want to pivot the conversation a little bit because I know you're passionate about biking. And yeah. I am curious, how did you get started with biking? Have you met other Latinos or Peruvians who do it? Um, yeah, I'm just curious about your biking oh. passion. Just wanted to take a break here to share that Peruvians of USA now has an online store. Help us spread the message that El Mejor Amigo de un Peruano es Otro Peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said La Mejor Amiga de una Peruana es Otra Peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I like when growing up, like I was, I didn't play sports. I didn't do anything. Like, I would literally, like, my favorite thing was being on the computer or watching TV. Like, that was, like, being on AOL, like, you know. Oh, you take me back. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, those screenings, they're so embarrassing. But it's just, like, that was, that was what I was so into. And so it wasn't until I was 30. So, and still, like, I was... No, not a um, athletic bone in my body at all. But I had just moved to San Francisco from LA and I started working at this company and there was a guy there that I, I started getting along with. He was super cool. His name was Russ. And he, like, it turned out he liked biking. And I learned that because he was raising money to bike from San Francisco to LA uh, with this ride called AIDS Life Cycle. And AIDS Life Cycle is basically raising money um, for awareness for AIDS and HIV in LA and in San Francisco. And so, you know, he, so it's one week in June. And so he did it the first year. And I would see the pictures that he came back with. And I was like, wow, what a hero, you know? <laughs> and so he would tell me, though, he's like, you could totally do it. And I was like, what? And so, like, Two more years, he kept doing it. And I was like, wow, amazing. But each time he's like, you know, you could do it. I'm like, what are you talking about? And so then um, I had just started out my own fitness journey at that time. Like um, I had started walking more, like I'd walk up hills with my little Suki and, and like I had started like losing some extra weight and I was like, wow, this is cool. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, like it was, his birthday was coming up and I knew he always said like AIDS life cycle, AIDS life cycle. So I signed up as a birthday gift for him. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I did zero research on it. Like I was like, you didn't know what you were getting into. (laughs) I had no idea. I thought for sure it was like, I could take like a beach cruiser and bike on a beach path. Like that just (laughs) somehow goes from SF to LA. I was like, oh, cool. I can do that. And then when I finally started looking at the pictures, I was like, oh my God, because these people are wearing spandex. These people have like these bikes that like, you know, I can't or, buy that. Or either like, yeah, I know the bikes are like super light, but because yeah, you want carbon. a light, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, but I didn't even know what carbon was at the time. I was like, what? And so like, I eventually bought my first bike. And when I did a ride, I freaked 
out. I was shivering. I was shaking the whole time. Um, but you know, I had signed up with AIDS Life Cycle, and so I was like, All right, I'm gonna start going to the training rides. I'm like, maybe I'll meet a man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there you go, kill two birds one stone. <laughs> I know. I was like, maybe I'm gonna find the right guy, and. But it's funny because it's like AIDS Life Cycle is predominantly a gay man's like charity ride. Oh, is it? I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't either. I was like, hey, fellas. And, <laughs> and somebody was like, you're barking up the wrong tree. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but the more that I went to these training rides, I had people who just like were like, can I help you? Can I bike behind you? Like, have you ridden before? Like, I had this kind of like this huge like love that was given to me that I had never had before because like growing up it's like I had zero acceptance you know um in my high school and junior high like at that time like I was just so involved in work that I didn't really have you know friends I had just moved to the city but I I didn't have anybody who I could felt like yeah that's my friend and they have nothing to do with like work or this or that so the more that I came to these training rides I felt like I felt so accepted and so loved that like it wasn't I didn't do the ride because I like I athletically athletically could do it I did it because I wanted to do it for this community and so when I did my first ride like I couldn't feel my hands after ride. like they didn't even work like I had so much pain like on the last day I pulled my back like it was I'm telling you I was I was a wreck and so but that was year one. And then um, I've done it like six years, you know, bike from uh, San Francisco to LA. And what is that distance for those of us who don't know? Uh, we just know it's far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's 545 miles. And oh, we do it in wow. Seven days. And oh, so wow. You did it in seven. So like, are there, um, where do you stay, I guess? Yeah. Okay, so how it works is like you um, go to like the meeting place, which is like this uh, cow palace in Daly City, so outside of San Francisco. So it's like a big expo center. So about 2,000 riders come and they're from LA. They're a lot of them like from Germany, from this, that, all over. And you come with all your riding equipment. You have a big luggage bag that has your sleeping bag and like all these camp materials. So you drop it off at these big kind of like uh, U-Haul-esque trucks. So you have these roadies who carry all your stuff. So you leave from Cow Palace. You, the first day you end up at Santa Cruz and that's like 80-ish miles. And the whole time, like you have people feeding you at every rest stop. When you get to camp, they have food ready. You can eat as much as you want. And of course, everybody's like, I'm carb loading. Like, and the thing is, you have to eat. You do. Like, you do have to. You're burning so much. Burning so much. And so for seven days, like, you end up at these cities, and it's a campsite. So you, they give you a tent. You set it up. You have a partner who you stay with. And you basically come to camp, eat, shower. They have mobile showers. And then you, like, watch announcements, hang out with some friends, and then you go to sleep at 7.30, 8 o'clock. Because you have to wake up at 3 to 4 a.m. the next day. And you bike out by like five, between like 5.30 and 6.30 a.m. 
So um, are different um, levels welcome? Like, is there all a levels. limit? Like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah, because it's like, if all levels weren't welcome, like no way could I have done it that first year. Like there was even a year where a woman, so I think she had this relationship where like she was gifted a tricycle and then they broke up and it was a really bad breakup. Oh, wow. And so her vengeance was like, well, I'm going to ride this tricycle all the way to LA. And she did <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny it's just like the tricycle is mine <laughs> yeah and, and it's like you could see her going up these hills with like this tricycle I'm like oh my god like they're like if there's a will there's a way and like the people who go on this ride like they're determined and if you say like oh my god I can't bike another five miles like you can get like a bus that'll take you back to camp so you're well protected like it's a very well um kind of oiled machine like no rider is left behind. If you can't complete the miles, don't worry about it. And they have medical and they, it's just like a living city that you're with. And just for seven days, the only thing you have to do is bike. That sounds amazing. Um, especially the views you must get, right? Oh. Also like biking uh, and being in nature. So what time of year does this usually happen? It's always like the first week in June. And so but due to COVID, they had to cancel this year and next year. Oh, they canceled next year already as well. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So um, this year would have been my seventh year. And um, you have to, the thing is, you can't just sign up and go. You have to raise like a minimum of $3,000. And so for, for even for me, I was like, this is, there's no way I'm going to do it. But the more that you tell the story of like why you're doing it, you'll find out like so many people want to support you. So this kind of ride, yes, you have to be like, you got to train and you got to be on top of your stuff. But like, it's more of this emotional experience. Like a lot of people call it Bernie man on wheels, but no drugs. <laughs> uh, you're only high on adrenaline. <laughs> and like no sleep. And no just, sleep. Like, yeah, there's and just crazy. That's but funny. it's it's definitely one of the best things I had ever done. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm definitely going to research more on it because it does sound a lot of fun. I don't remember the most I've written, but Chicago has a similar, uh, or it has, um, an, I think it's a night ride. You start, I think at midnight and then you end probably around like 5 a.m. This is during the summer and you end in sunrise. So you ride through the night and I want to say, it's 30 miles. I might be mistaken how long that is, maybe more. But I remember I went, I was in Chicago visiting a friend and she was doing this and I signed up last minute. We rented bikes and then it was just the whole community. We all, we all rode in the evenings and then we get to, uh, I forget the Michigan, I think it's called excuse me and um yeah during sunrise and their food trucks and you just grab something to eat and then you go to bed <laughs> you go to bed oh. when you go home so because you didn't sleep through the night right so it was oh a lot my of fun. god it was a lot of that fun. sounds super cool yeah it was a lot of fun um all right so katie to wrap up i am wondering what message do you have for peruvians in the u.s uh, or peruvian americans and what message do you have for peruvians in peru um, the message I have in Peruvians in the U.S., uh, the one thing I wanted to make sure that kind of like the audience knows is just 
and I say this like with a lot of heart is just like just because I don't know Spanish doesn't make me any less of a Peruvian you should see me at the workplace I always have a Peru day I always celebrate like independence of Peru like it there are other ways that I show how who I am and where I come from and so I don't want people to think any less you know I feel like and I for the longest time I felt shameful about not knowing Spanish but I just feel like no this is who I am and representation matters and I just feel like um there's nothing I just want to make sure that people know like hey she's just as Peruvian as I am you know there's there, no different there's still like that same love and Peruvians in Peru oh man I love Peru so much. It's just like that place and the people I met, it's just magic over there. And there's part of me that I get mad that a lot of white people are like, let me visit Peru and do ayahuasca. Like, <laughs> you get sick of that. But like, I get it. Like, I totally get it. And it's great. Give us money. Like, it's fine. Yes. Invest in our tourism. <laughs> yeah. 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 Please, like, go for it, you know? But, um, you know, the Peruvians into Peru, it is just like, it's so funny to say this, but it's like, I love you. Like, I love where I come from. I'm so proud to say that I'm Peruvian. And it's just like, whatever I can do to like, keep that kind of like, keep the country how it is to improve it, I don't know, but it's, I, I'm not too sure what to say, except just like, I love you. It's so simple. I, yeah, it's simple, but it's so beautiful because I, I, I think it's probably a message that we don't say enough, right? We're so proud yeah. of our country and so much of our country are the people. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's the people, right? And so I, I think yeah. that message is so beautiful. Um, so Katie, if anybody in our audience wants to reach out to you or stay in touch with you about, you know, any like learning more about your career or... I would love just, that. Just to connect, to connect with you, how can they do that? Um, just find me on Instagram. It should be easy. K as in Katie, Meza, M-E-Z-A. And if you were to go on my Instagram, I actually have, you know how you can save stories? I have all these proof facts. And if you haven't checked it out, you should, because my dad's in all of it. <laughs> like, yeah, check it out. It's, so, it was almost, yeah, like my love letter. That's awesome. I'm going to have to check it out and I'll reshare it as well on, on oh. our Instagram platform and we'll link your Instagram handle as well. I would love that. I would love that. Thank you, Katie. This I really enjoyed our conversation. I really think you, you bring a fresh perspective to being a Peruvian American. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And I hope that, you know, like we can connect soon because I definitely want to keep chatting with you and learning more about you. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this. This is huge. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I'm looking forward to connecting with you there. All right. Talk to you soon. Ciao.